I am so grateful for each and every one of you. I want to encourage you tonight. This Monday is a very special day in our country. It is a day to honor the life and legacy and leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King. And I am so grateful. Amen. It's our privilege and honor to continue that same journey in believing for justice and equality for our people. That is the message, that is the story, that is the heart of Jesus, that is a primary passion of our community. And I do hope that you get a chance not just to post a quote, but I hope you get a chance to not only pause your day on Monday, maybe even every day, and think about how you and I can be a part of the difference, can be a part of the solution. And we can do our best to learn about each other and learn about each other's steps and journey and what it might be like. And so I hope that you'll take time to have a conversation to reflect on the life and legacy of Dr. King that continues. He is passed on to eternity. That opportunity is now ours to be proponents of equality and justice and love for all people. Can I hear an amen? That is who we are and that is what we're about. I love you so much. I'm, I'm really excited to spend these minutes with you. I'm going to take the next few minutes, I'm going to share from the story of Jesus, the story of God, which was near and dear to the heart of Dr. King. And then what we will do is the band will join me again. Is it all, is it all guys tonight? Is it all guys? Is it all guys? Well, I, that's what I'm asking. It just looks like it's all, all guys. I'm just wondering if there's any ladies joining us. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. So um, the band will join us, and we will sing some songs. Uh, and these songs are designed to help us engage with God, this great, big, wonderful God who loves us. By the way, if you brace yourself for bad news, because when you go to church, you hear how bad you are, how bad things are, how bad it keeps getting, how bad it is out there, how bad it is in here, uh, our church. It's not real complicated. We're just simply committed to good news. A lot of people don't know that the gospel, which is a term used for the story of God's forgiveness and his love, actually literally means news that is good. So we've designed this entire community around good news. How many know we got enough bad news, bias, uh, bad news, and we need some good news? All right, well, don't get too excited. All right, all right, fantastic. Luke chapter 5. I'm going to go to Luke chapter 5, and then I'm going to go to John chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, it's no worries at all. It's going to be up on the screen so you can read along for your viewing enjoyment. And here's what we're talking about. Here's the idea in this space, the idea in this room. Here's the question we're asking. What's most important? What's most important in life? Another way could, you could ask yourself, uh, why am I here? Where should I spend my time? What should I give my energy to? What should be my focus? What should actually get me worked up? What should I let go of? What should I say, ah, no big deal, that's not my life or my wife, I'm moving on. One of my favorite phrases. My wife is sitting over here, married 20 years. Girl, I love you. I love you. Best wife in the room. Deal with it. All right, all right. Calm down. Um, we're going we're gonna to fly to South Africa tomorrow. And yeah, just me and you, girl. Like, I take it too far and start talking about what we're going to do on the plane. Okay, here we go. Luke chapter 5. 
Are you well? well <laughs> I've asked twice, and I've gotten just the most really tired lowly. Okay, here we go. We'll get, we'll, get, we'll get going. We'll get going. It's all good. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing on him to hear the word of God, he, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Genesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Get into one of the boats, which was Simon's or Peter's. He asked them to put out a little from the land. Jesus was going to use the water for amplification. It's, a, it's an ancient microphone, really. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat using the water as an amplifier. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and use those, those nets you've been cleaning and put out the nets and you're going you're to get a catch. Peter says, Master, uh, Peter's a pro fisherman, by the way. Jesus is a carpenter. That's his special case. So Peter's like, all right, all right, hold on a second. I'm a fisherman. You're a carpenter. Let me fill you in. He's like, master, which is a sign of respect. So he's like, I respect you. I love you. I'm just saying, we've toiled all night. It took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. A lot of conjecture of why Peter said this. I'd like to suggest, I think the reason Peter said this is because Jesus is speaking about something Peter doesn't think he knows anything about. So Peter doesn't want Jesus to be embarrassed. So Peter's like, hey, you know, actually, that's not how it works on this body of water or any body of water. We've already been fishing, and this isn't really the time to fish. The time to fish is in the middle of the night, but we'll do it because you said so. Peter is still learning about who Jesus is. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish so much their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. So now, and they came and both boats. So we got two boats that are sinking because there are so many fish in this supernatural catch. When Simon Peter saw it, notice what he does. He falls on his knees in the boat at Jesus' feet and he says this. This is going to be important in terms of where we're going to helping us decipher what's actually important in the world, in the universe. Depart from me, Peter says, I got issues. I got, I'm, I'm, I'm broken. I'm a sinful man, oh Lord. For he, this is basically verse 9, is trying to explain why Peter did what he did in verse 8. For Peter and all the guys were blown away, flabbergasted, astonished. I love flabbergasted. What a great word. We should use that more. Hey, I am just flabbergasted by this day. 2020 is flabbergasting. They were flabbergasted at the catch, the catch of fish, which they had taken. And also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. And that's one of the most important, do not be afraid, you'll ever see in the Bible, and I'll explain in a few minutes. Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching people. You'll, your life will be about people, not fish. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, we're going to get some Bible reading today, so prepare yourself, okay? I want you to keep that in your proverbial back pocket, and I want us now to travel three years ahead. We're going to go three years from that story to John chapter 21, which we read last week, and let's read this story, which you'll find some incredible parallels and similarities. After this, Jesus revealed himself. This is now post-resurrection. Jesus has died on the middle cross between two thieves. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. He rose again on the third day, just like he said, and now he is appearing to his key leaders and followers and disciples. This is resurrection. He predicted his death, burial, resurrection, pulled it off. It's one of the reasons, it's the reason I believe Jesus is God. He's the hope of the world. He's changed my life, love of my life, and I endeavor to follow him every single day. And side note, I believe he is alive and he is in this actual room. 
That's what I believe. You don't got to believe that? That's what I believe. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself like this. This is how he revealed himself. And he reveals himself in a way he revealed himself three years before. They're the same kind of cast of characters, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, Cain of Galilee, sons of Zebedee, two others, and his disciples were together. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to him, I'm going to go, said to them, I'm going to go fishing. They said, we're going to go with you. We're going to go with you. Jesus had appeared twice. They go fishing. They need some margin, need some headspace. They need to clear their head, kind of figure some things out. What's going on? Jesus is resurrected. What does that mean? What are all the implications? They went out, got in the boat, but that night, again, similar to Luke 5, they catch nothing. A man, just as day was breaking, Jesus, they didn't know it was Jesus, stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. I jumped a little early on that verse. And from the shore, Jesus says, hey, guys, did you catch anything? Oh, we don't know who. Probably Peter yells back, no, have a good day. Jesus, once again, gives horrific fishing advice. He says, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, probably because three years earlier, he did something similar. They're probably starting to go, it might be, maybe, let's check this out, boom. They drop in their net seven and a half feet to the right across the boat, and it says, so they cast it. Now, they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. Verse 7, the disciples whom Jesus loved, this is now John talking about himself in his own gospel, says to Peter, it's him. It's Jesus. It's the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment and he was stripped for work. He threw himself into the sea and swam a hundred yards into shore. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land. There it is again, about a football field length away. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with the fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, although there were so many, John just wants you to know, this time the net wasn't torn. Three years ago, the nets torn and the boat sank. This time, the nets aren't breaking. And Jesus says, and one of my favorite quotes, it's 2020, and I've quoted this multiple times in the new year, come and have breakfast. I'm going to give that to you as a gift for 2020, okay? When someone says, you should be fasting, you should be like, have you ever heard the quote of Jesus saying, come and let's have breakfast? Come on, somebody. Now, nobody says anything, right? It's such a moment. They're like, nope, nobody says, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was the third time Jesus revealed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Here's what we're going to do tonight, okay? We're going to look at Luke chapter 5, and we're going to look at John 21 again, okay? And here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to decipher if in Luke 5, before Peter and the guys, particularly Peter, spent three years following Jesus around and watching him teach, preach, and do miracles and, and, and bless children and families. Let's see what they valued here. Let's see what was important here. And let's see if we can decipher what's important here. My premise is simple. I'd like to suggest to you that just three short years with Jesus will completely shatter what you think is important in this life. I'd like to suggest tonight that we don't have to take three years. We can do about 30 minutes. Some of you are like, Judah, you've never preached in 30 minutes. Maybe tonight will be the night. If you would believe, maybe it would happen. <laughs> Doubter, okay? But what, in a few, what if in a few minutes 
we could, we could travel back and forth through time and we could come to the conclusion without spending three years of what's actually truly important in this life. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the moments we share. Thank you for your story. We want to now jump in and make it real. Let, let it come alive. We want to experience you and see you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Help the Seahawks in the offseason make all the right moves and help the Tennessee Titans win the Super Bowl. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. That's my prayer to Titans. Any Titan fans in here? Why? You from Nashville? You are. Is that you saying yes? You're from Nashville? It's amazing. Are you single? Are you married? Oh, that's amazing. How long have you guys been married? One year and a half. Honeymoon. Honeymoon. Your husband is sitting there not saying a word. Is that a good sign or a bad sign? This guy's like, she's like, one year. Am I making this up? That's your body language. Let's talk after, okay, honestly. The first year's the hardest. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Nashville, man, it's hard on marriages. Um, so I'm on planes every now and again, right? Tomorrow we're going to take another plane trip. I think, is, is going to South Africa one of the longest flights you can take? I think it is. I think it is. I'm not bragging, but it is. Um, I had the craziest experience. In fact, Elijah and Amory were with us, our best friends, and all of our seven kids, come to think of it. But of course, I was not close to the kids because we get upgraded for, uh, for free, and they had upgraded Chelsea and I away from our children. <laughs> it's wonderful when that happens. Um, so our seven kids were way back there. And it's gonna be a real simple flight. We've done it a million times, right? We're gonna fly from Seattle to LA, right? No big deal, it's gonna be great. I'm not gonna say which airline we were flying. I'm not here to call out airlines. I'm not here to call out anyone. I wanna bless all airlines everywhere. But I think this particular pilot was having a rough go that, that night, okay? I wanna give him some credit. I'm sure he's a great man. I don't know his name, okay? We're not gonna say his name. I'm not gonna find out his name so that I can have a little fun with this story because this is real life and this actually happened but just a few weeks ago, okay? It's kind of a later flight. We're kind of getting home, I think, from, from the holidays, from Christmas. Oh, we were going L.A. to Seattle. You know, babe, I don't know if that was important enough for you to interrupt my sermon, but that's fine. <laughs> 20 years of marriage, this is still happening. Good luck, you guys, man. Anything else you want to correct, babe, before I keep going, or are we, are we good? Um, I call her Dr. Exact. That's 20 years of marriage. You get nicknames that are kind of shots fired, like, oh, Dr. Exact. Okay, so Chelsea would like you to know, it's very important to critical to this sermon. We were not flying Seattle to LA. We were flying LA to Seattle. That changes everything. Um, pilot gets on. This is how the flight begins. We haven't taken off. We're not even close. We're still at the gate. And he goes, hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for flying this particular airline. It's... Uh, Great to have you tonight. Now, folks, listen, uh, this isn't going to be a long flight uh, all the way up to Seattle from L.A. Thank you. And uh, it's, only about, it's only about two hours, maybe 2.05. Listen, uh, the flight attendants and our crew, they're here really to serve you. Here's, 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 here, here's the truth, folks. If you keep getting up out of your seat, we're not going to be able to do our job. So here's what I'm going to ask. This is a true story. Here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask that you go ahead and stay in your seats. Now, unless you absolutely have to get up, the more you stay in your seats, the more we can do our job, right? And suddenly his tone is like,
like he's patting everyone on the top of their head. Hey, boys and girls, welcome to kindergarten, right? And I'm kind of looking at Chelsea, and I'm like, are you, are you picking up on the tones here? Like, are we, are, we, are we putting out this pilot? Is he frustrated that we bought tickets to fly on his plane? Like, it, so I'm like, ah, it's just, you know, no big deal. I'm a follower of Jesus. We bless him. We love him. We're moving on. Free upgrades. I'm a happy camper, okay? It gets worse. We don't leave, we don't leave the gate for quite some time, quite some time. He finally comes on the air, and he's like, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're just as confused as you are. Not getting a lot of communication here. We'll update you when we can. Whatever you do, stay seated. <laughs> Chelsea's like got her Kindle out. She's reading some book about Jesus. I'm trying to get the movie thing to work. I'm like, it's not. It doesn't work till we get in the, what, you know? Um, so, no word of a lie. About 45 minutes goes by. Silence. By the way, when someone would get up, the plane hasn't moved yet, okay? When someone would get up, a flight attendant would get up. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to need you to stay in your seats. We could move at any time. Some of those were my children coming up to, to see us in our seats. And I was like, go, get away. <laughs> it's really happened. Finally pushed back from the gate. I'm like, no big deal. My, I've been reasonably good in my attitude. Of course, I've been saying horrible curse words in, in my thoughts. But we found about 45 minutes, we finally pushed back. Everyone's like, yay, everyone claps. Little did we know. We start, we start kind of, we're moving. But man, we are just, this must be the longest runway in the world. And this literally happened. The pilot comes on and he goes, well, folks, if you think we're driving in circles, we are. That's all we got. <laughs> now, now people are like, what's wrong with this guy? You know, like when people get restless, it's like, what is wrong with this guy? And everyone's getting upset, you know? What I'm about to tell you is a true story. This actually happened but two weeks ago. And here's, here, the reason I'm telling you the story is here's a pilot who for, forgot what's actually important. He comes on the air. We're like, an hour 45 now, okay? Everyone, it was, didn't we, it took us two hours, babe? I just want to make sure I get the story right. Uh, about an hour 45, um, he gets on, he's like, listen, folks, we're all hostages together. <laughs> Bro, there's so many words you could have used. We're all in this together. We're all companions, we're all friends, we're all, I don't know, humans, hostages. I'm looking around, you know when you're trying to make eye contact with strangers, hostages, did he just say hostages? You know? <laughs> so people, people just start getting up. This is like people are just like walking around. My kids, my kids are like meeting people. The, the waters are texting us, what are you doing, right? People are just walking around. The flight attendant has lost all control of the plane. Please sit down. Please sit down. We're like, everyone's standing now. We're like, no, we won't sit down. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then, you know, we land, uh, we land in uh, L.A., no, we land in Seattle, Seattle, 
And I love, I love, it's so awesome. He's like, hey, thanks for flying. Like nothing happened. Thanks for flying with us. See you again real soon. Took us like eight hours to get where we were going. I got off the plane. I'm thinking about this gentleman. I don't know his name. I won't tell you what, what airline we were flying, Alaska. Um, and <laughs> like, I couldn't help myself. But uh, I don't know. I, I never worked for an airline, so bear it with me, okay? I'm ignorant in a lot of fronts here. But I, I think airplanes and airlines are about, like, people. People kind of going places, and last time I heard, you know the old cliche, like it's not about the destination, it's about the journey, right? It's about being together. Now, you, know, you could argue that a little bit, but I thought to myself, this pilot has kind of lost touch with reality, right? He's using words he shouldn't use in, in a cockpit, shouldn't use in an airplane, and um, I, think, I think at one point a flight attendant got on there and she's like, hey, we are all in this together. This is hard on us, just as it's hard on you. I wanted to yell out, except you're getting paid. <laughs> so it's really different, actually. The longer we sit here, the more you get paid. You know, like, we're not getting paid. We paid to be here. You know, it's not really the same, but it's amazing how life can wear you down. Whatever industry you're in, preachers are just as guilty as everybody else. Isn't it ironic? Preachers like me, we care more about sermons sometimes. Our ornate delivery and our cadence and our rhythm and our words than we do about whether or not people were served and helped and cared for and experienced forgiveness and love and care and concern. So whatever industry you're in, lest we pick on pilots and flight attendants, the truth is life does it to us all. It is so natural, normal, and easy to actually forget, lose sight of, it doesn't even cross your mind anymore, what's actually important. Like, like here's a question, it's an old one, it's, it's pretty cliche, but why did you get involved in what you're doing now to begin with? I tell you my little story. I, I, I tell you exactly where it happened. Twin Rocks Camp, Portland, Oregon. I'm like 12 years old, 11 years old, and Jesus told me in my heart. I just felt His presence, and He's like, "You're gonna, you're gonna tell people about Jesus." And I remember crying, and I'm at the altar, and I got my arms, right, my skinny little arms. They're still pretty skinny, and um, I would be like, "Jesus, I love you." Anybody grow up in church and like you go to youth camp? Everyone screams, "I love you!" Right, and, the, and the, most, the most amazing thing to do during the worship set is when the music lulls, Jesus! And your friends are like, yeah. Right? I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, I just love you and I love people! Right? But over time, amazing how we allow other things to become Way more important. No, no, no. Listen, if I, if I just, you know, paused you and put you on, on the spot and said, hey, what's the most important thing about your job? You're probably not immediately going to go, money. Because you're smarter than that. You're going to go, purpose. And we're all going to go, amazing. But is that what you really think about most? Right? Because what's most important is actually what our mind revolves around, what our emotions are connected to. So you don't have to tell anybody tonight, but can you dig down just for a moment within yourself and ask yourself, what is actually the most reoccurring theme of your lifestyle and your actions and your daily happenings? What moves you? What's on your mind? What motivates you? What gets you excited? What gets the juices going? Which is a weird phrase. But anyways, what really gets 
you excited. That, if we're honest, has become, whether intentionally or unintentionally, what's most important. So that's the question we're asking for the next several weeks in 2020. What's actually important? What's really important? And here's the problem. We live in a marketing age unlike any other. And we are told by every product and every company and every subculture and every entity that everything is most important. Oh my word, your teeth are yellow. You need to get teeth whitening. Teeth whitening is everything. When your teeth are white, you will be your best self. Oh my word, teeth, that's my have to have white teeth, right? Bright teeth is the key. Some of you are like, oh man, why does he have to go there? (laughs) Literally, I'm watching you guys are like. (laughs) Everything's important. Well, if everything's important, nothing's important. What's actually important? Now let's, Let's bring that into our spirituality. Let's bring that into, for those of us that follow Jesus and worship Jesus, what is most important? And again, I'm not asking just that question. I'm asking you to be honest about your emotions, your thoughts, your motivations, and your desires. When I say following Jesus, what gets you excited? What gets you excited? What gets you pumped? Can I pick on preachers again because I is one? Preachers are famous for being more excited about their sermons than God. And I've been there. I get more excited about walking on stage and talking about him than actually being with him and encountering him. Like, I'd rather tell you how to follow Jesus than I actually follow Jesus. Right? And that just begins to tell you what has become important, what's actually important. Now, if you look at the history, I was going to say the historicity, because I just like it. But if you look at the history of Christianity, let's say, you look at a lot of the ages and the eras and the centuries and the decades of church history and Christian history, and you'll notice these alarming trends where what becomes most important amongst Jesus followers and Jesus worshipers is actually not the person of Jesus, but it's actually what we do for him, what we do to represent him. Are we doing good? Are we doing right? Do we dress right? Do we talk right? Do we look right? Do we belong to the right church? And that, if you look at the years of Christianity, has become, it's interesting what you see into certain centuries and eras, what's most important. Well, my brothers and sisters, many faithful spiritual people are dead and gone. We, it is now our turn on the planet. And so I ask us, as spiritual people, whether you're following Jesus, considering following Jesus, and by the way, this would be a great place tonight to be considering follow Jesus because I'd like to debunk and defunk for you some of the things you think Christianity is actually about. I'd like to go on record tonight to tell you it's not what you think it is. It's actually not about that. And we're going to use Luke 5 and John 21 to prove what's actually important. Now, the scripture warns us against this thing called tradition. The scripture tells us that what we are given to in our humanness in spiritual settings like this is we get used to tradition. Now, we're we're in an interesting space as a church. For those that don't know, we renamed our church Church Home. One of the reasons we did that is because we want church to be like a home, but we also believe people can have church in their home. You wouldn't believe the amount of Christians right now who literally think I've lost my mind because I'm telling people they can actually gather with friends and neighbors and worship in their home. It's as if I have left the faith. 
Now, why is that? Because there's a new norm now. And the new norm is a preacher preached from a stage. By the way, you have a band, there's hazers, there's lights, and then you release an album, right? <laughs> Which I think that's awesome. I really do. But so now it's like church can't be in my living room. What ends up happening is traditions become so important that we start to question the validity of someone's faith because they do not uphold the new tradition. We need to be aware of that. Traditions are not what's most important, and we're going to discover this tonight. I would like to compare just two different things. I'd like to compare the valuing work versus worship, and then I want to compare the value of sin versus the Savior. Here's the premise I'll be working from. I'd like to suggest that many of us, by default, unless we're intentional, our relationship with God will become more about what we do and don't do and more about whether or not we're sinning. And that becomes what we give our energy to, what we give our focus to. Let me ask you a very simple question. How many times in your walk with God or your consideration of believing in God or worshiping God, you've had this thought or said this word. I've got to get better. This is how many in 2020, you started out the year like, man, this is, I got, I, bro, if I'm going to do this, I, I got to get my stuff in order. I have got to do this. You know what I'm going to do? You get in what you, you, you get in. You get out what you put in. So what I need to do is start putting in the work. I need to start sinning less. You know how I'm going to sin less? I'm going to tell myself every day, every, stop sinning. <laughs> You're bad. You're dumb. You suck. So stop it. In fact, I'm going to get an accountability partner. Oh, if I had $5 for how many Christians ask me if I have an accountability partner. Here is the brokenness in accountability partners. You can lie to them. I've been, I've been so many people, bro, I'm going to be your accountability partner. How you doing? Good. Promise? Yeah. All right, that was productive. <laughs> so accountability partner is not the savior of the world. Jesus is. Right? But we say, look, and we tell our accountability partner, in 2020, every time you see me sinning or you think I'm sinning, I want you to call me on it, brother. Every time you see me, say, hey, brother, that is, you stop it right now. We're men of God. Hey. Would you look at her when she walked by? What were you looking at? I bet you weren't just looking at her hair. What were you thinking, bro? You really want to know? Yeah. You know, and then accountability turns into this weird, like, tell me more. You know, <laughs> wait a second. Wait, what'd you watch last night? Okay, tell me about the scene. A little bit more. This is for accountability. You know, like, all right, bro. Don't get me started. I've been doing this way too long, okay? I know exactly how this works. Just for accountability, Tell me everything you watched over the weekend. So I want us to get honest. Is the theme of our spiritual journey with Jesus, is it what we do and what we don't do? In other words, our working and our sin? Or is it worship and Jesus? Jesus and worship. Now, if already you're like, oh, man, I'll be honest, it's definitely not more about Jesus and worship. It's definitely, I think a lot about sin. I think a lot about getting better. Welcome to the club. 
It's normal. It's very, very normal. By the way, our culture is built like this, cause and effect. It just is what it is. Everyone will tell you, listen, this is how it works. If you want to get better, you got to try harder. you got to do more. you got to put in the work, put in the time, and that's how it's going to go. And I'm telling you, with this news that is so good, it is different. It's supernatural. Peter, let's just use Peter, okay? We could talk about other guys. We're going to focus on Peter. I'd like to suggest that Luke 5 and John 21 really zero in on Peter as a wonderful portrait of the human condition. Peter, in Luke 5, before three years of following Jesus, before time with Jesus and understanding Jesus and presence of Jesus and miracles of Jesus and love of Jesus and all these amazing times with Jesus and teachings of Jesus and words of Jesus, Peter is being called by Jesus and Jesus does this phenomenal thing. He gives them the catch they've always dreamed of. It's such a big catch. It's a career catch. It's a career break. It's everything Peter and the guys have ever wanted in terms of the fishing industry. They caught nothing all night. At the word of Jesus, they launch out into the deep during the day. No one fished in the day. There was no fish by the surface in the day. It's not even the right time to fish. Jesus says, go, and they throw the nets in, and it's such a big catch. Listen now. There's got to be a reason for this. Luke likes us to know the nets were breaking and the boats were sinking. Now, I think this is important because there's a reason John in John 21, three years later, says, interestingly enough, supernaturally, the nets were not breaking. But in Luke 5, before being with Jesus, he gives them the success. Please hear me. He gives them the results they want. He gives them the answers they've been believing for. I'm talking about he gave them the goals for 2020. Lord, I, got, I need seven things from you in 2020. And God's like, bam! And it says it was sinking them. And I want to say what I said last week. I want to say it again. Be careful what you wish for. You use God like a vending machine in the ATM. Most troubling thing that might happen is you might get your whole list, and in the process of gaining the whole world, you lose who you really are. I'm telling you, apart from Jesus, success typically sinks people. The more success sinks people the fastest. It's, this is classic. This is cliche. I don't have to go. All the examples are there. It's very, the more success you have, it sinks people. Interestingly enough, they bring partners over and they give them some. It's interesting how success for one person, if you get too close to that person, their success can sink you too. Now, Jesus doesn't want to sink them. He's just making a point, a point he'll make differently three years later. Peter sees the results when he sees the results, he does what everyone for thousands of years has always done with God. Here's how God works. If you do good, if you work hard, God will give you the results. Now, Peter's in a conundrum because he's like, okay, okay, we didn't work for this, and now we got it, which means it's pro how it's going to work now is Jesus is going to ask us to earn this and deserve this and work for this, and then Peter, conscious of himself more than Jesus, he thinks, I can't do this. Why? Because what Peter thinks in, is important is working more than worshiping, because that's the way it's always worked. I'll prove it to you. 
Peter gets all freaked out. He gets on his knees and he says, you, you, you gotta get away from me. I can't work for this. I'm not this good. I don't deserve this, right? Because that's how it worked in your relationship with God. I can't do this. Listen to what Jesus says. Please listen, please listen. Luke chapter five. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Now that for you is like, oh, that's so nice of Jesus. Don't be afraid. And you read on in scripture. Ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus says, when Peter says, I'm sinful, I don't deserve all this, and Jesus says, don't be afraid, everything is changing. Here's what I mean. You go back to the Old Testament. What can be more aptly told, said, is the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. That has been completely fulfilled by the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now we no longer relate to God based on working, earning, deserving, or doing. Jesus worked, earned, deserved, and did it all. Now it's finished. We don't earn it or deserve it. This gathering, this congregation, our premise is not let's do better and work harder. We are here admitting we can't, we're broken, and God says, I can and I have, just trust me. Now we'll dive more into that in a few minutes. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Did you know in every record of the appearance of God in the Old Testament, do you know that every single person when God appears, like for Moses, guess what they are? Terrified. God's big, he's massive, he's perfect, he's holy, they're not, and they're like, ha! Ah! And essentially in the Old Testament, God's like, you should be afraid. Jesus shows up, and what Peter expects Jesus, he's still learning about who Jesus is, but he knows he's God's representative. He expects his fearful response. Jesus says, don't be afraid, which leads us to believe and understand that why Peter's saying, depart from me, is because he's afraid. He's afraid. He's afraid. He's afraid. You know how many people are afraid of God? You know, people are here tonight, you're afraid of what you can't do, what you didn't do, what you did do, what you should do. You're afraid. You're afraid. I can't be as good as Judah. Or I can't be as good as this person. I don't belong here. This isn't a space for me. I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm not good enough. I'm afraid I'm not spiritual enough. I'm afraid I don't even understand the scripture. I don't even know. I don't even know what the Old Testament is. The New Testament is. And so I'm afraid I don't belong here. This is awkward. This is wonky. I got to get out of here. Hope he ends soon because we're afraid. Jesus came and changed everything. He now said this. You are sinful, you are broken, but you no longer have to be afraid in my perfect presence because I'm gonna do for you what you cannot do for yourself. When he says, Peter, don't be afraid, Peter's like, but I am afraid because you're perfect and we're not. Jesus is changing everything. Now, fast forward from this work mentality Peter has to a worship mentality. By the time we get to John 21, many of you already know this, Peter has denied Jesus three times. Do you remember the story? He denies him. Jesus says to Peter, this night you're gonna deny me three times. Peter's like, I'll die for you! Jesus is like, not really, you know. Eventually you will, but not right now. And so <laughs> Peter goes, I don't know Jesus, I don't know Jesus. And he's by a bonfire with a junior higher girl, and she's like, hey, and he's like, I don't be. He starts cussing, oh no, She's like, okay, geez, you know. Like it, it gets pretty bad. Jesus, the crow, crows the third time. Jesus looks at Peter and he's like, ah, and he runs out. They have not talked about that yet. Peter's in a boat, just like three years ago. You guys catch anything? Peter's like, who's that? No. Try the right side of the boat. 
They grab the nets. They got a hunch. They had to. They throw it in. They're like, oh, man. John's like, it's him. Peter's like, it's him. And watch what he does this time. Three years ago, he said, I can't. I can't live up to this. This is a man who's probably hurt Jesus more than any of us have ever hurt Jesus. At Jesus' lowest moment, Peter was like, I don't even know. I, what are you talking about? I don't know him. I've never been with him. They haven't even talked about it yet. And what's Peter's response? He swims as fast as he can to get close to him. And this is what is moving me tonight as I come to a soon coming close. Here's my issue right now with you and with me. We think what's more important is doing better, working hard at ourselves to be good for God. That's not what's most important. In fact, that's not even really on the list. What's more important is that as broken as you are, that all of your faults and weaknesses drive you to swim faster to him. Here's my question for you and for me. When we are at our lowest and our weakest, do we have a tendency to want to be close to Jesus or feel like we are a million miles away? The reason we feel like we're a million miles away is what is called religion. Religion is man-made, it's not God-made. It's man-made. It's made to control people's lives and teach people to adhere to traditions so they perform correctly so that men and women feel powerful and feel in a way that they're doing something worthwhile. Religion has never changed anyone. It's all conformity and it's fake. It's fake. And it's all based on who can work the hardest, who can, look, who can be the nicest. <laughs> bless you, brother. Oh, so good to see you. Praying for you every day. Oh, bless your heart, which is the Christian way of saying you are so out to lunch. <laughs> who is this Jesus that Peter knows? So what's more important? Working or worshiping. Now, worshiping, we think, is singing. In the moment we're going to sing, singing is just one of the most considerable ways that we can actually worship God. But worshiping God is talking about him. It's thinking about him. It can be even inventing and creating things while being consumed with him. It can be uh, walking with friends and thinking about him, talking about him. There's so many different ways. Uh, worship can be just trusting him and surrendering to him. There's so many different ways we can worship. But I'm telling you, that's way more important than working. 2020 for you should be a lot more about just being with him than trying to be better for him. <laughs> you know what's amazing? It's like in six months you're going to do something so dumb, right? And so am I. And at that moment, because of how we understand the, the linear time and space, we're going to be like, God, I know you're so bummed. And God's like, uh, if I wasn't bummed in January, I'm definitely not bummed in March. Because I already knew. And that leads us to the concluding point, sin or savior? Let me ask you this. Are you more God conscious or self conscious? God conscious or sin conscious? Religion will make you sin conscious. The gospel will make you God conscious. When the news is allowed to be what it is, so good that everybody goes, should we just keep sinning? 
Because that's when Paul tells the gospel in Romans, he finally gets to a place in Romans where he says, so should I just keep sinning? He's like, certainly not. The news gets so good, it starts to motivate you beyond yourself to live a life that looks like Jesus. We are not here tonight promoting self-improvement. I am over it. Part of the reason I'm over it is because I am not type A, I am not driven, and trying to improve myself discourages me. <laughs> so I was really made for the gospel. I wasn't good at school, wasn't good at a lot of things, but I like to talk, right? So the gospel is great for me. I'm like, I'm gonna do this. Nah, I was just kidding. It's about being, wait, wait, in Luke 5, remember what Peter said? Remember what Peter said? Instead of Peter going, who can make this many fish in our nets and boats? Instead of Peter going, who are you? He goes, boat, catch, stuff, works, me, bad, leave. Sounds so much like Christianity in 2020. God, blessing, favor. Have you ever gotten something so amazing you're like, I don't wanna screw it up. This is so good. I'm gonna screw this up. Oh my word, it's too good. Something bad's about to happen. Knock on plastic. What's happening? Gotta, what? And you're more self-conscious and God-conscious. But what happens? What, 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 three years, three years, three years soaking in the good news. Three years soaking in the goodness of Jesus. Three years, and when he sees the results, when he sees the success, when he sees all the goals fulfilled, he goes, it's him! <laughs> and he runs to him. Christianity is more worship and God consciousness. It's like the same thing. Did you know you're not going to like this? Some of you are going to disagree, and that's okay. I'm right, and you're wrong. Um, it's like, Judah, that's not encouraging. But did you know that Jesus teaches that the more you sin, the more he will be there? We don't talk about this. We don't talk about this. I know where Jesus would be in this city, where there's tons of sin. That's where Jesus would be. You want me to prove it to you? Romans chapter five, verses 20 and 21. I didn't write the book, God did. The Old Testament, the law, all these rules were given so that people could see how sinful they were. That's it. No one can keep the rules. But as people sin more and more, please hear this, God's wonderful grace increased more and more. Look at the next verse. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, comma, now God's wonderful grace rules instead. See, what you don't know is sin is not running the earth anymore. Grace is. And grace is not a principle or concept, it's a person. Jesus runs these streets. And his grace is abundant. His grace is abundant. You don't have to see it, feel it, believe it, ask for it. It's there. It's present. Where there is sin, grace abounds. What is grace? 
It is Jesus doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. In other words, where God and sin are together, forgiveness abounds. Before Jesus, where God and sin were, fear abounded. For men had to bridge the gap. The gap has been bridged by Jesus. So everywhere you see sin, you need to know forgiveness overflows in that space. Which leads us, you're not going to like this, but I'm right. Where you are most embarrassed, said this before, that secret little thing you can't shake. Guess where forgiveness flows? The most. Just like blood in your body races to where you are hemorrhaging or in pain, the blood goes there to do what? To heal your body. Your body is telling you how the creator works. Do you know what you, oh man, we're about to start singing and I'm, I'm ready to sing, I'm ready to sing. You know what you should do next time? Your sin is air, wrong. It's something, you just know, you just know. It's real, it's real. Sin is real, sin is real. Judah, I don't believe in sin. Let me punch your mom and ask you again, do you believe in sin? It's, it's just, it, bad is real, okay? And we're built to know it. When you're doing bad, do you know the most genuine thing you can do in the universe? While you're sinning, you should worship. You should worship. While you're sinning, I, I, I just said it. Thank you. You're amazing. Here I am, cheating again, lying again, stealing again. You forgive me again. You still love me. You never stop. And all of a sudden, it occurred to me, you know what? I'm going to be a really good worshiper in 2020. I can prove it to you because I still do a lot of wrong things. But I now know, just like Peter, what would you say? It's him. That's him over there? <sighs> what are you doing, Peter? And when Peter got to Jesus, he didn't say anything for a long time. That can be worship too, just being with him. <sighs> They don't even talk about the stupid thing Peter did. It's as if that's an afterthought. It's, Peter's just, you know what sets you up for worship? Sin. For where there is sin, there is God. And when God and sin get together, there's no competition. Aggressive forgiveness always works. You think sin is aggressive? You think temptation is aggressive? You think it's overwhelming you, that addiction you can't break? I'm telling you what's more aggressive than error and wrong and sin and addiction and brokenness. I'm going to tell you what's more aggressive. I'm going to tell you what won't let you go. I'm going to tell you what won't start, stop pursuing you. His name is Jesus, and with him comes unconditional love and unconditional forgiveness, and he will never quit on you. Ha-ha! So now the more I sin, the more I worship. The more I sin, the more conscious of God I become. And I'm going to tell you something about the gospel. Oftentimes things get worse before they get better. So don't freak out. So I'm like, Judah, I accepted the grace of Jesus, and now it feels like I just got a credit card to do whatever I want, and I'm forgiven. That's where it starts. I'm good. I did something dumb last night. It's all good. I'm forgiven. And you know what? 
Don't let anybody tell you different. But I'm going to tell you that forgiveness is going to wear you down. I'm telling you that forgiveness is going to wear you down. Every time you sin, God, thank you, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. You keep doing that for a while, and all of a sudden your appetite's going to start to change. I don't think I want to do this anymore. I'm already forgiven. I know where the life is. I know where the acceptance is. I know where the forgiveness is. I don't actually need this. You know what? This isn't really improving my life. Every time I do it, I'm forgiven. I might as well stop doing it. That's where the power is. Perfect love casts out all fear. Man, we, we, we're trying to build a church here that just, we don't live in fear. Bible teaches an awe of God. It does not teach any longer a terror of God. We are no longer afraid of what God will do to us because we're bad. We already know what he did to us. He forgave us and gave himself up in our place. And now there is no more, near for, no more need for dread and terror. All I have with God is confidence and acceptance and assurance. And I'm telling you, the, the devil himself is scared to death when we start empowering people who are broken and sinful to every time they fail worship and let that weakness remind you how great he is look how great he is he still loves me that's what's most important will you pray with me Jesus we thank you for the moments that we share but oh God we thank you for you we thank you that our life doesn't have to be defined by what we do or what we don't do. Life isn't defined by our work, our sin, our error. It's defined by what you have done, and we thank you for that. We love you, Jesus. Lord, it's my prayer for our church. As we go through these 40 days, every day spending a few moments with you, thinking about you, talking to you, listening to you, May God consciousness be top on our list. Just thinking about you. Letting your beauty and your majesty and your glory and your goodness fill our mind, thoughts, and desires. Thank you, God. With your eyes closed, I just want you to hear this. You are loved. You are accepted. You're approved. You're his. You'll never be kicked out. You'll never be removed. You'll never be asked to leave. You belong to Jesus. You are his son and you are his daughter and he is proud of you. You are the apple of his eye and you are in the palm of his hand. Your emotions, your thoughts and desires, they will attempt at times to deceive you. But I'm telling you, his truth is transcendent. What Jesus has done is completed and finished, and you are who you are by the work of Jesus. You can't earn it or deserve it. You just accept it. If tonight on this very night you would like to accept the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers on the count of three with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would like to receive this forgiveness as sheer gift, pure gift, that's all it is. You cannot do anything. You just accept it. You unwrap it. You receive it. You make it yours. You say, yes, God, I believe. If you want to receive this forgiveness on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand and put it right back down. You know who you are. I only ask you to raise your hand because I believe when you physically respond on the outside 
to what's happening on the inside. It makes it more real to you. You know who you are. One, two, three. If that's you, just shoot your hand up all over the room. Thank you. So many hands. God, we say we accept the free gift of forgiveness that is only accomplished and delivered through you, Jesus. We thank you for that. We love you. Help us day by day now to remember what's most important. What's most important. What's most important. It's our privilege now to practice what we've been talking about. And let's use music, harmonies, and melodies as a platform to worship our great God. If you're willing and able, would you stand with us? And come on, let's worship together, church.